All right. Hey, guys. Welcome back to the Skinny Truth Podcast. I'm Laura Fluchet with Dr. Josh Roller. We have gotten hundreds of questions from you guys over the last couple of episodes, and we are finally diving into those questions. So tune in today to see if your question made the cut. And you can find the Skinny Truth Podcast on all major platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcast, YouTube, if you want to watch the video. And we would love if you would save, share, like, and subscribe. All right, let's dive into the questions. Are you ready, Dr. Roller? I don't know. How hard, how hard are these questions? I don't know. Did you study <laughs> up? <laughs> right, all right here. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right, so... Let's start the first one because I get this question a lot. Are carbonated drinks dangerous after weight loss surgery or is that a myth? I don't think that they're dangerous per se, but they do cause discomfort. And, you know, when you have a small stomach and you're putting something in there that's gaseous, that gas can expand and it causes discomfort. And what we you know, want the patient to learn from a small stomach is the sense of fullness, like food's going down. Okay, I'm full, so it's a signal back to your brain that you're full, so you stop eating. And when you start getting those signals from carbonated beverages, um, it can really, I think, confuse the, the stomach, the body, the mind. And people stop eating even though they haven't gotten their protein in, any of their nutrition. And so I also think the more you kind of over-distend or kind of overstretch your pouch, probably your mind is, is less likely to respond to the signals of, hey, I'm full. So in general, you know, there's really nothing good that comes from a carbonated beverage. And so we recommend they, they stay away from them. But are they dangerous? Probably not. But I don't think they're good for a weight loss surgery patient. That would be my, my two cents on that. And I guess I should say, you know, in general, um, all doctors have different opinions. So listen to your healthcare provider and their advice. These are just my opinions and, and how our program works. So, but definitely, you know, I don't want anything I say to, to take away from your relationship with your doctors, but this is what we do in, in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Absolutely. And I don't know, I kind of with the carbonation, my thoughts on it are, it's kind of a bad habit and maybe it would lead to like other bad habits, you know? So yep. I don't know. That's just well, and it's, it's, I'll tell you this, it's really interesting. The studies that have come out like on Diet Coke, people think it's zero calorie, it's safe. But it causes all sorts of things in some of these studies, you know, even kidney failure and strokes and potentially Alzheimer's. So, uh, you know, just because it's zero calorie doesn't mean it's zero harm. And that's that's the take home message is just like you said, it's probably a slippery slope, not worth getting on. Yep. Good deal. OK, let's see the next one. Um, this is a good one. Is BMI important in determining one's health? Um, absolutely. Now, in general there are some extremes to a bmi so let's say you know i'm six foot 200 pounds you know i have a bmi do i have more muscle mass than than somebody else maybe but you take a six foot uh 230 pound linebacker in the nfl their bmi is gonna be higher than mine however they've got almost no body fat and they're almost all muscle so i think that um there are some exceptions to the BMI rule, but those exceptions tend to be more for the, you know, highly uh, trained athletes with minimal body fat, you know, like six, 7% body fat. And that's not m most of the general population. <laughs> right. Know, those are, right. Those are, those are athletes. And so aside from that, 
I do think you can use BMI as a as a marker. You know, eight just to review it, eight to BMI of eighteen to twenty five is normal. Twenty six to thirty is overweight. Mm-hmm. 31 to 35 is actually considered obesity. And then 35 to 39 is severe obesity. 40 to 50 is morbid obesity. And then 50 and higher was what we call super morbid obesity. And so we know that when your BMI hits 35, your chances of health conditions start to skyrocket. And you can start taking eight to 10 years off your life just in that 35 to 39 range. And this is what I remember about, about your husband. BMI is sitting right there at 35, 36 with diabetes. Mm-hmm. And he got a lot of comments of he's not that big. It's like, that's severely obese. That number mm-hmm. means something. And right. it wasn't 35 or 36 because he was packing, you know, a huge chest and huge biceps and, and right. a six pack. It was mm-hmm. unhealthy for him. So I definitely think you can use it as an indicator of health yes. with some very random exceptions and yours was what was yours when you had your surgery almost 75 that's the super super morbidly obese Mm -hmm. range there's almost no coming back from from that without surgery so in general you know there are exceptions to every rule but use that that bmi means something you know that that number on the scale means something and yes you can put on more muscle and it can cause you to weigh more those those are real things but just remember that that number has to mean something you know, and maybe mm-hmm. it, you need you need to get taller, but most of us <laughs> right. can't do that. We're done. We're done growing, so that's right. not going to happen. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. Let's see. What is the cutoff age for bariatric surgery? Okay, so I'll give you mine. Well, I'll start with insurance. Um, generally speaking, they don't want to cover it under eighteen. Some insurances will. But the guidelines are a little bit different in how we treat kids. In fact, I did I did an adolescent today, um, you know, sitting there BMI of of thirty seven. And, and in general, kids they don't get the same. You're not really doing it for current health reasons, like you know they don't have heart disease then. Although I have seen a few in heart failure already, but the psychological impact of, on kids is or adolescents is just is a lot. Um, and so it's to kind of get them back in a good spot. Um, for us, we will do 12 and higher. And, you know, we do our, our, the process we do is a little bit different. We want to really ensure that, you know, it's a mature, you know, 12 year old or 14 year old that they really have thought this through, but the parents have to, got to be integrally in, involved. You know, I don't necessarily believe that a 12 year old can make that kind of decision just on their own. It's going to take parental and family support. And that if the parents have bad habits, the last thing you want to do is, is do a weight loss surgery on a, on a child or yeah, I'd consider a child. I've got three of them, but adolescents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and then put them back in a situation where every minute of every day they're, they're in a bad situation. You know, where there's soda pops out at, at dinner and candy and cakes. And so I would say it's it's a family decision when you're when you're working on um, kids. It's also one of the most rewarding things that you can do when you see a adolescent come back with with some confidence and some swagger. It's really fun. So but that's there's insurance and there's what we'll do. Um, now, I will tell you, there's a growing group of pediatric surgeons that are doing obesity surgery in kids way younger than that. And that needs to be, and the studies have shown it's very beneficial, but those are usually done at children's hospitals, and there, but there are very few children's hospitals in the country that are, are specializing in that. Hmm, interesting. I hadn't heard that. So what about older? Like, what's the age cutoff for an adult? 
my two oldest were 79 when I did them. And the first one, you know, I learned a lot about things that when I say something I will never do, it's usually the end of the road for me. I, I have learned the hard way. Like I said, I would never marry a doctor. And I married a doctor. And I said I would not have daughters. I have three of them. There are all sorts of things that I have learned. So I remember distinctly Kristen telling me about this this patient that she wanted me to consider. And she was 79. It just she just um you know her her reasonings for wanting to do it is she just wanted a better quality of life. She couldn't get around, she couldn't tie her shoes, she needed assistance for every little thing she did all day long. And I was like, you know what? That's the one of the best things I've ever heard in my life. Why why am I if for other doctors say that she's good to go, who am I? I can give her a tool, she knows how to use the tool, she knows, you know, there are risks involved. But I would tell you she did phenomenal. Um, she went home the next day. I took her gallbladder out five years later at age 84. She did great from that. And so every patient is different and needs to be looked at differently. And I, I don't, I no longer use age as some sort of determining factor. It's more do, do I think I can get this person through the surgery? And do I think it will help them? And do I think I can get this person through a complication, you know, knock on wood, should they have one? Those are kind of my step, how I look at every single patient when they come in. Yeah. So really, yeah, age just varies depending on the situation. Correct. Okay, this one is a hot topic all over, and there's lots of questions about this. GLP-1 medications, which I'm sure we'll do an entire episode probably at some point on these. Right. Um, But a common question that we've gotten lately is, if you haven't hit your goal weight and you've had bariatric surgery, can GLP-1s, are they an option to get you there? So yeah, weight loss medications are a hot button issue right now. And the thing to remember about the medicines is that they can help you lose weight. However, you need to understand that when you stop the medicine, the medicine stops working and you will put the weight back on. And so in all of you know studies of show, there's a significant amount of weight regain. And so I would rather see somebody, you know, if they have five, 10, 15 pounds to get to their goal weight, I think it's appropriate. There's really probably not any harm in doing that. If you have 50 or 60 pounds to get to your goal weight, well, we need to start reassessing like, why didn't you get there? What are your dietary habits like? What's your exercise routine like? Well, just describe to me your day. Let's figure out if something we can change to start making the tool work better as opposed to getting right to a, a medicine. And, and that's just the thing to remember about, about these medicines. They can help you lose weight. On average, it's 10 to 15% of your body weight. So for 400 pounds, you know, 40 pounds. You get under 360 on average. Wow. Is that where you need to be? You know, and they, they're very expensive, um, anywhere from 600 to $1,300 a month. Most insurances aren't covering them at this uh-huh. point, unless you're diabetic. Um, my opinion is that I don't think the studies have been out long enough to, um, you know, to really know, you know, what are some long-term consequences from, from taking them. But from cost alone and knowing that you can't stop them ever when the weight comes uh-huh. back, then you, you kind of add that up. So to lose 5, 10, 15, 20 pounds, okay. We need to lose more than that. We, there's other things we need to look at. You probably get a lot on this. So what do you think? I get a ton of questions on it. And actually somebody asked, they had 150 pounds to lose. Would you think those medications were a good fit? And obviously not. Yeah. I mean, what you said, bang for your buck. How much, let's just say that you're 40 years old, you know, you Mm -hmm. need to lose 150. Are you willing to say an average life expectancy for an American 74? So Mm -hmm. are you willing to be on this medicine 
for the next 34 years. And I will just tell you that the expense, number one, is is through the roof. So it's a, if it's $1,000 a month, it's $12,000 a year. Over 10 years, that's $120,000. You could have had the surgery like seven or eight times <laughs> yeah, during exactly. that time. And then again, like there's not studies past five years to know what side effects are actually out there. We know it stops your stomach from working. Um, will it come back? And I think the jury is is out. So everything in moderation. There are indications for it. Um, I do think it's 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 probably safe and in, in for the short term. I I would not plan on being on that medicine for the next thirty years. And that's what I think a lot of people don't understand is this is a these med medicines are meant to be taken lifetime, just like a high blood mm-hmm. pressure pill. Right. That's it. People ask me all the time, like if I tried them and I, they really weren't a thing when I had, I think they were just starting to like rise when I had surgery and they say, would I have tried it? And I don't know, maybe, but I don't know that that would have allowed me to change my lifestyle like bariatric surgery. You just kind of have to with bariatric surgery. It forces you to, I mean, yeah, you get on the, you get on the boat. Or you get off the boat and right. you had to. I mean, you try to overeat with a small stomach and it's going to, you know, just slap you right. right on the hand and tell you not to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. It's, I mean, I, I can't say what I would have done, but I know I, given the weight that I had to lose, I would have never gotten to this point. I mean, so what was your starting weight? 384 pounds. All right. So again, you, you just round up and say it's 400 pounds. And I told you, yeah. let's just make it 20% of mm-hmm. your total body weight. So you're 80 pounds. Now, mm-hmm. if I told you, you can be on this medicine for the rest of your life and get down to 320. Yeah. No. I mean, that's, that's why the numbers are the numbers. When oh, when we're talking about surgeries, I'll say the same thing. The sleeve will help you lose this much weight. Then the bypass, this much weight. Then the Modify, do a deal, and switch this much weight. Here's where you're starting. And these are averages. So there's people that will do better and there's people who do worse. But just assume you're going to be at, you know, on the middle of the curve. Is this where you want to be at the end of a year? And then people will just usually go, no, I want that one. I want to be here. <laughs> yeah, you want the best results. Generally. And so the numbers are the numbers and that they're they're really important to um, to discuss with the patient while you're in there about what the expectate what their expectations are expectations of the surgery and what can get and medicines and where they can get you so in general i think it depends on how much weight you have to lose if you have a little bit it's fine to try the medicines okay i have a question just like talking about goal weight what's the percentage of people that typically get to their goal weight after bariatric surgery do you know um, yes. So it depends on what you consider a goal weight. Um, and everybody's definition is different. So mm-hmm. is it getting to a BMI of 25? Mm-hmm. You know, so your, you know, normal weight. Um, I like to use that one. But if I know that the duodenal switch will help you lose 85 to 90% of your weight, then the goal isn't going to be a BMI of 25. It's going to be something above that, you know, 27, 28. Some people's personal goals are like, oh, I, don't want, I just want to be, you know, here. And that's different. So mm-hmm. that's why it's so hard to give you a number like what percentage gets there because what goal are we talking about? For me, it's yeah. all the way down to normal. So that's interesting with the goal weight, because my goal weight when I came to see you guys was much higher than even my goal weight was. And that's just probably based on that percentage of estimated weight loss. Okay. Yeah. So if you're, let's just say you're 200 pounds overweight, we say you can lose, you know, 80% of your excess weight. That's 160 pounds. 
That's mm-hmm. a really good outcome, but that means you're still 40 pounds away from that BMI of 25. Yeah. So, so yeah, it makes sense. It, yeah, it really just depends on where we're going, all the way down or the average weight loss based on which surgery that you're having. Okay. So if people are having the modified duodenal switch, what's the percentage of patients that get to that 80%, the minimum? Do you know that? Yeah, I think that's really high. I mean, I think we're probably batting, um, if I were guessing, which I'm, I am guessing, but just mm-hmm. on the ones I see, I bet you 80 plus percent of our patients get there. And it's, wow. it's just a guess, but it just works so well. Um, mm-hmm. We have very few patients that that with poor weight loss with it, you know, like that 50%, mm-hmm. very few. And um, I can just tell you of those those handful, there were some other behaviors you know that we're we're not helping the the surgery do right it. and that and that's that is the other thing about this and you talk about goal weights it, this is all assuming somebody is doing you know making their follow-up appointments getting hot and sweaty five days a week for 30 minutes at a time and and making good food choices and getting the protein in mm-hmm. so doing all that i think the percentages are really high hmm. that's awesome yeah that was just my own personal questions. Let's do a fun question. How about why are doctors always late? Not always, but why are doctors late to my appointment? Okay, that's a good question. Now, I am only going to talk for surgeons. You know, my (laughs) wife is a family practice doctor. My dad is a family practice doctor. And so they're, you know, medicine doctors are in clinic all day long. I'm going to let them uh, address their own, their own issues. Give their own excuse. uh So for me, I do clinic in the afternoons um, and I operate in the mornings. So generally speaking, uh, if I'm late to clinic, it's because like I start at one. Maybe I get down with surgeries at 1245, get right to the office, you know, maybe in 25 minutes. Um, And so it's usually when you know, you're already five to 10 minutes late. So for me, I'm, it's typically because I'm operating. And there are days when every case goes completely smooth. There's no scar tissue, you know, no one's, uh, you know, no five or 600 pound patients. And there's, it's just an easier day. Then there's days that are just hard, you know, lots of scars. Someone's been operating on a whole bunch of times or really big guys are the toughest to operate on. Or you've got um, all duodenal switches on one day and I'll do five to seven a day on Monday through Wednesday. So those can put me behind the schedule. And so, you know, it's like if my fourth patient a day asked me, well, what time am I going to have surgery? And I say, you're going to have surgery right when the first three are done. And I, cause I don't know when those are going to get done because right. you're giving your undivided attention, you know, to the person on the table at the time. And so then you've got all these other, we'll call them obstacles in your way of, anesthesia didn't see the patient in time oh the nurse was at lunch or there was and you're like i am going to be late for clinic and get my head chewed off because people are mad at me and so there's things that are also outside of our control i can assure you i am not on the golf course so that is (laughs) that is not um an issue sometimes you're talking to families longer sometimes i am just like right on time and like ready to rip in your rock and roll through that clinic, but then somebody has 50 questions and, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not going to rush somebody through that. 
It's a huge decision. That's the time they need. Other people, you know, walk into the in there and okay do you have any questions nope i'm good to go i was ready last year so we're doing this and you're like well that was easy so it really for me it's and for i think most surgeons it's or dependent on how that clinic um works and you know i doctors do have a bad name and we do tend to and no one gets more cranky about doctors being late or in sitting in the waiting room than me when i'm doing it like at the kids dentist appointments or (laughs) pediatrician's office because i'm like okay what are they really doing back there i want to know right yeah um that's what I like about my clinic setup is, you know, all our patients when they're going doing their different testing is they're all out there with us. And so our, I want my team to feel my patients looking at them. Yeah. Come on, we need to, we need to move people's time is there. It's valuable. Nobody wants to be in the doctor's office, especially like with the weather we have right now. I mean, people want to right. be doing stuff. So, you know, some are good excuses. Uh, most are good excuses. Every once in a while, it's, you know, it's something else, but it's usually OR related. Well, I got to say, you're, you've pretty much been on time for all my appointments, so you're good. <laughs> uh, well, well, I try, I mean, I'm telling you, no one hates it more than me, so I, I get it. It's a, it's a pet peeve. Luke is the worst at doctor's offices. He has no patience whatsoever. I'm like, you just got to give him a break. Yeah, or so, ki- kids' uh, orthodontics appointments. I mean- that one, we're like in the middle of braces and all this other stuff right now. And that's just expanders and screws in mouths and all this. It's just, I'm like, uh, okay. We haven't or, gotten to that yet. Just wait. That's a, that's a yeah. fun time. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's do, um, okay. I did get a couple questions about this. Can someone with a binge eating disorder successfully lose weight with bariatric surgery? Um, yeah, I do. I think so. I mean, it needs to be treated and under control, but I mean, we're not going to penalize somebody because they've, they've had a, a problem. It's just like, mm-hmm. we're not going to operate on somebody because they had diabetes. That's the whole, that's the whole point of it. And so, you know, if somebody's untreated and not better, it's not safe to do that surgery on it. Um, you got to remember depression is another one that we see a lot of. It runs pretty rampant in the obese patient population. And so my feeling is that it, it helps people and especially binge eating, you know, I mean the, the, the normal stomach, you know, the stomach comes out like this, it can hold three or three and a half liters of stuff. So it's, it's, it can do that. A small stomach, like a sleeve for a DS or a pouch and a bypass, it cannot hold very much. And if you try, it's going to hurt. Um, so it may help, but I, obviously we're going to work with somebody's psychologist and, and make sure that, you know, they're treated, they're safe. And good to undergo surgery, but I, I don't think that's something with if they have a history of it, you you would not do surgery because of it. Okay. Uh okay. So someone asks, they're concerned about my thirty five year old son's health. What is the best way to re- approach him about scheduling? So I think it starts off as a conversation. Obviously, you know, we can, you know, talk about it till we're blue in the face. And I love talking about it. But it's not until the patient realizes it's a problem for them like we talked about last episode that that aha moment that they're gonna say okay however i do think that conversation is important to start to think well maybe they have a point and get them thinking about it and you know i think you just go up to your son and say listen i love you um you're really important to me but your your weight is really really dangerous and it's gonna is going to take your life. I mean, you don't see very many 80 year olds running around with this problem. And 
I think you need to get help. And, and even better, it's okay to get help. It's okay to ask for help. And especially men in general, we're hard-headed, stubborn. We don't like to listen, whether it's directions or, or weight loss surgery. We're not gonna, you know, we, we just don't, we're not, we don't do well with that. So I think it just starts with having the conversation, starting the conversation, not being afraid to have the conversation. Because sometimes they're just too embarrassed to even go to like their parent or a spouse and say, I'm really concerned about my weight too. I, I can't get it off. I need I need help. Uh-huh. That's a tough thing to do. So sometimes being the one to initiate that conversation can really just relieve the the burden off that particular person. And it's not like you're saying, you know, I'm not going to be your mother. I'm not going to be your spouse. It's saying, I love you and I want you to get help for for your own health. For, for you mm-hmm. and because you're important to us we want you around that's how I approach it and every time I do that when I'm seeing like somebody in the office who's in there for gallbladders or hernias but they they have a an obesity problem I bring it up every time and I have never had a patient get mad at me um I just simply say has anybody talked to you about your weight and about how dangerous it is and you're like no you're the first person who's ever asked me it's like, well, let's let's just talk about it. Let me tell you where things stand now. And I'm not saying you should sign up for surgery right now. I want you to go home and think about it. And they either will or they won't. But at some point, I know they will. And I know they'll mm-hmm. come back. So just start the conversation. Don't be afraid to. Um, they're not going to get mad at you for it. Right. I, I mean, they just You don't. know, that's, that's a good point, though, because I also get messages on the opposite side from the person wanting surgery. And they want to know how to approach their loved one's about wanting to go this route. And so you're right. Um, maybe they that's what they need. You can really take uh, the burden off somebody who's really, really wanting it and needing help. You're validating their concerns by just having the conversation. I mean, it's, it is mm-hmm. so uplifting for that person to say, okay, well, what are my options? Well, have you, have you, you know, what are you looking at? Let's talk about this. Let's get on the internet. Your Dr. Google is a good starting point. Um, uh-huh. you know, and that's, that's how it starts. Um, you're exactly right though about the reverse one where like, how do I tell my family I'm having it? Like I've had my moment. I'm not doing this anymore. And at that point, you just have to trust your relationship, uh, relationships and trust your loved ones that they're going to support you and your decision. Um, they're going to be worried to some degree generally because it is surgery and, and that's okay. But, you know, the fact is it's it's the best, most effective option that's out there. And, you know, I, I think just talking, having open dialogue yeah. is, is, is how you start it. That's all. Noth- nothing fancy. Yeah. Um, okay, let's end it with a... I feel like this is a really good question that people want to know, but what are some keys to lifelong success with bariatric surgery? Okay, so I I have my my three my three things my three rules basically and they're adaptable as you as you progress down your journey but um, your number one is is make your follow up appointments with your program and after for us it's like five times the first year two times the second year and then and then yearly but I still have my very first patient from sixteen and a half years ago that comes back every year. And she's wow. done great. And mm-hmm. so it's make your follow-up appointments. And, and if you can do it by phone with the dietitians or come to the office, it, it doesn't necessarily mean face-to-face, but some way, shape, or form. Number two is exercise. And what I tell people is I want five days a week, a minimum of 30 minutes at a time of hot and sweaty. And what that means is kind of cardio. You know, that whatever it is that your heart rate's getting up over 150, that you're 
you're moving. And if you were to walk through that door, I could look at you and go, wow, that was, you must have did a, had a hard workout. Mm-hmm. If you walk through that door and you look completely refreshed, that did not count. <laughs> you know, so Didn't it's got to be, you got to, you got to, and it's five days a week. You got to get that in. The beautiful thing about exercise is it's whatever gets you hot and sweaty yourself. So what you do um, on your walking platform or what I have to do or what an OU athlete does, those are going to be all totally different things, you know. And then the last one is making good, probably the most important, is making good food choices. And that's high protein, low calorie foods um, every day. And you're going to have days, you're going to have, you know, some cheat days, you're going to have some exceptions and things like that. You just got to make sure that they stay exceptions and don't become... Mm-hmm the norm and if you want to be successful long term you do those three things things are, are going to turn out really really well for most patients to do that so those are my rules that's what i've seen in my 16 plus years of of doing that and i've i don't think i've seen a person who does that who's not been successful successful long term yeah it stands out to me one of the patients at the red carpet event 16 years i think it was like 15 or 16 years ago and that person still has kept their weight off and that was so inspiring to me i mean she, she was patient amazing um she was my fourth patient yeah so it's crazy back in 2007 yeah and wow 16 years later she's walking down our our runway at the red yeah. carpet event and she looks the shannon looked incredible i mean so yeah. yeah i mean for the for the naysayers and haters out there about everybody's gonna gain their way back they don't yeah you just don't think to ask them about it it's like nobody's gonna in 10 years or no one's gonna ask you about your weight loss surgery because mm-hmm. they're never even gonna remember that you had it because they're gonna remember right. you, you like this yeah you know yeah and you're gonna be that healthy living you know person and inspi- inspiration to everybody but no one's gonna remember that song go and so that's the thing it's like once you do you're that successful for a long time then it just it goes out the window it doesn't have it's yeah it, it's not there you're you're now this new person so it, it does work it can work especially in the long term you just got to follow the rules yep follow the rules follow the plan i say that all the time you do all right well <laughs> <laughs> well people say like what's your biggest tip and my biggest tip is follow the plan like it's yeah. there for a reason. So, all right. Well, I think that wraps it up. Do you have anything else you want to say? No. Um, nope. This is this has been good. So, I do think we'll tackle the one of these episodes coming up on on the GLP one on the medications. Um, it's gonna be good. I've I've been watching some some recent discussion about that. So, we'll do that and we'll let everybody yeah. go. Maybe maybe somebody's watching this right now on their on their Peloton, you know, doing their walking or on their treadmill and getting their steps in right now. So. I bet they are. Yep. All right. Well, guys, thank you for tuning in today. Um, As always, we would love it if you would save, share, like, and subscribe. And join us for the next episode. We will talk to you guys later. 